So we're starting a new book. We're here, we're at Second Nephi. Lots of crazy stuff is going to be happening. We learn here at the very beginning in Second Nephi chapter one, we learn in verses four and five what's been going on over in Jerusalem, verse four. For behold, said he, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed. And had we remained in Jerusalem, we should also be, have perished. But, said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise. This is Lehigh talking. You got to love him. And a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me, should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, and the Lord hath, hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and also all those that who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. So here he's saying, okay, have this vision. We're now in the promised land. And everything that I told you about Jerusalem that would happen, family, it's happened. Now, Lehi is pretty old here. And we've lost Ishmael. And as far as old people go, we're, we're just hanging with Lehi. And then we've got Nephi and the boys, right? And so it's kind of crazy what's happening. Now, I heard that we dream every night. That's word on the street, right? But I don't remember my dreams like hardly ever. However, the other night I had this really crazy dream and ironically, my dad was in it and we were in like some random city in South Dakota, which I don't even know if it's like a real city, but in my mind, I'm in this rural South Dakota and I'm on this trip and it's like all my family is somewhere, but I'm on this trip and the family is part of the trip. And then my dad, we go to the store and I, I go into the store and I say, hey, I'll be out in just a minute because I wanted to get something. And what was so funny, if you know me, you know that I love a good bubble wand. And so when I went into this store, there were like these cool like light wands that you could make. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to make one of these light wands. And so in this dream, I'm like trying to create this light wand with my dad out waiting in the car. And then one of my friends from like 15 years ago comes walking by. And in the dream, I say to her, oh, I should probably connect with you. But right now you're in my dream. So I like was telling somebody in a dream that they were in a dream. Like I'm feeling some inception going on. You know what I'm saying? So clearly I recognized in that moment that I was not awake. Now, here where we're at in Second Nephi, Lehi is about to become like my dad really is. He's going to be dead. And Lehi knows that he's going to die. And so he wants to provide some really sound advice to us. Now, you may be saying, Candace, hold up. Why did you even tell us that story about your dream in a dream? Which, by the way, then later on in the dream, I got this like really big laceration on my knee and I was like bleeding out. But I had like the coolest wand that could create like all of these amazing stars and things on the it was fantastic. But here is Lehi and he says this in chapter one, verses 12 through 14. Listen closely because you're going to see how this connects. Verse 12. Yea, as one generation passeth to another, there shall be blood shed and great visitations among them. Wherefore, my sons, I would that you should remember, yea, I would that you would hearken unto my words. Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell. Shake off the awful chains by which you are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Awake, 
and arise from the dust and hear the words of a trembling parent whose limbs ye must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave from whence no traveler can return a few more days and I go the way of all the earth. What is it that Lehi is really talking about here? Clearly, he's gathered his family together. In fact, I kind of envision it as like he's at this really big family dinner that has like one big last family home evening, like everybody come together. And as he's brought everybody together, he's told them to do what? Well, he's told them to remember, hearken, awake, shake off and arise from the dust. Now, if I'm sitting at a dinner eating, I am probably awake. So. What is it that he's really trying to say when he's saying, awake, awake, arise? Would it be fair to say that some of us are spiritually asleep? Or I love what he says, shake off the awful chains. That we're in a deep sleep, even from the sleep of hell. Like we're ignore, we, we want to ignore that. It's okay. It's okay. I'm okay, Isaiah. Um, so what does it really mean to be spiritually awake and to arise? Well, I love that Lehi, knowing that you and I might have that question, if we jump over to verses 21 through 24, same chapter, he says this, and now that my soul might have joy in you and that my heart might leave this world with gladness because of you that I might not be brought down with grief and sorrow to the grave. Arise from the dust, my sons. Be men. Be determined in one mind and in one heart, united in all things, that you may not come down into captivity. Don't you love the visual of that? Arise and be men. What do real men do? Well, real men follow God. Candidly. A real man shows respect. A real man is kind and gentle. A real man has a reverence for things that deserve reverence. And they are determined in one mind and in one heart and united. That, that's really one of the purposes of the priesthood, if you think about it, is to help us be, ter- be determined in one mind and one heart in a, and united. Verse 22 that you may not be cursed with a sore cursing and also that you may not incur the displeasure of a just God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be displeased with me. Upon you unto the destruction, yea, the eternal destruction of both your soul and body. Verse 23, awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which ye are bound and come forth out of obscurity and arise from the dust first line of 24 rebel no more here he says against your brother but may we change it because remember last week we talked about scripture likening so rebel no more against president nelson that that's who we're not supposed to rebel against so if you or and i are not spiritually awake we are still moving because the world keeps going so you and I sometimes are walking around every day. Like I know you have those days where you're like, oh, I feel so tired. But if we are spiritually asleep, we are literally going through eat out every single day spiritually asleep. But in the process, we're still moving. And the question we have to ask is, is it the direction that we really want to go? 
because we are literally making decisions in our sleep. Think about it. If you and I are spiritually asleep, if we haven't put on the armor of righteousness or the armor of God, if we didn't shake off the chains of hell, if we don't arise and be determined of one mind and in one heart united with the prophet, then we're walking around literally making choices in our spiritual sleep. So here is Lehi and he's trying to get you and I to like, hey, pay a freaking tension. So I want you to contemplate this question. If you knew you were going to die, what's one thing that you would want to make sure that you shared? You have one chance in 15 minutes or less to share something because you know in 48 hours you're going to die. What would you share? What, what would what would that look like? See, post-conference and prior to his passing, my family members and I, we had multiple discussions about Elder Ballard. And as I've reread his talk, I've really wondered and questioned, did he know that he was going to pass? Like, if you look at the way that he frames his talk, because he framed his talk around something that if you look at the ministry of, of President Ballard, it makes complete sense. He is a direct descendant of Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith. He's part of that lineage. And so what does he do? Well, he focuses on his very last talk in conference. He testifies of the life and mission of Joseph Smith, specifically the first vision. Now, if you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Go back and read his talk and then come back and tell me, do you think that he knew? He reminded me a little bit of the uh, Bruce R. McConkie. I will never forget watching Bruce R. McConkie's last testimony in conference because he ended it with the phrase, in the coming days, I will see the Savior and bathe his feet in my tears, but I will not know then any better than I know now that Jesus is the Christ. He is straight up saying, I'm going to die. But I need you to know, I know that Jesus is the Christ. I am testifying to you. I am awake. I have shaken off those chains and I am here to tell you, although President Ballard could not see, he was there. He was awake. He had arisen and said, Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration, the first vision, real thing. Peace out. So what would you share? Well, Lehi shares some really awesome key doctrines. And in chapter two, it's full of it. Like I could spend probably, if I was really honest, I could spend 90 minutes or more talking to you about things that are happening in Second Nephi chapter two. There are so many, so many avenues that we could go down. See, in the first few verses of 2 Nephi chapter 2, Lehi covers the life and mission of Jesus Christ. There are a few things that are more glorious than that. But then he kind of like pulls back a little bit from that. He's very poetic in the way that he's presenting this. He pulls back from that. And then all of a sudden in verse 11, he introduces us to a really important law. It's the law of opposition. Let me read it to you. 2 Nephi 2.11 for it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. That's a pretty profound statement. It's not an opposition in some things. There is an opposition in all things. So this is something to wrap your mind around. We've been talking a lot in the church about 
The most righteous have been saved for the latter days. Your marked generation with the most righteous are here. Who else has to be here if there's opposition in all things? The most wicked. Now, you may be saying to yourself, hold up. How, how do we have like wicked brothers and sisters from the pre-earth life? Friends, we lost a third of them to the persuasion of Lucifer. We're going to talk a little bit about how he did that. And so here is Lehi saying, what for it must needs to be that there was an opposition in all things, if not so my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be compound in one. Wherefore, it should be one body. It must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death nor corruption nor incorruption, happiness nor misery, neither sense nor insensibility. We get the law. And then Lehi pushes us a little bit further into this law. Verse 12, wherefore it must needs have been created for a thing of naught. Wherefore there would have been no purpose in the end of its creation. Wherefore this thing must needs destroy the wisdom of God and his eternal purposes and also the power and the mercy and the justice of God. Verse 13, here's where it gets crazy. And if you shall say there's no law, you shall also say there's no sin. If you shall say there's no sin, you shall also say there's no righteousness. And if there is no righteousness, there'd be no happiness. And if there is no righteousness nor happiness, there'd be no punishment or mercy. And if these things are not, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not. Neither the earth, for there could have been no creation of things, neither to act nor to be acted upon. Wherefore, all things must have vanished away. So let's go back here just a touch and contemplate the pre-earth life. We've talked previously about how there was a war in heaven. You remember as we were talking about Revelation chapter 12, I am the great stone dragon, right? Lucifer is the great dragon and he's there and he makes war against Michael and it's a war of what? Well, it's a war of words. And what are the words? Well, if you remember, God says, well, who shall I send? And Lucifer arises and says, here am I, send me and give me all of the glory. And the Savior says, here am I, send me and all the glory be thine to God. Now, here's the question. If Lucifer made himself or got all of God's glory, God ceases to be God. Why? Because Lucifer now is God. And if Lucifer is God, according to this, what happens? Well, all things must vanish away. Do you understand that his plan was like going to implode all of us? Why? Because if there's no law, there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no righteousness. If there's no righteousness, there's no happiness. If there's no happiness or mercy, then there's no misery. And there's no God. And if there's no God, there's no us. Or in short, you and I, we have to have the law of opposition to exist. Think about it. If the law of opposition were taken away, we don't exist. Why? Well, because go back to me to the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, the Lord places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he gives what? He gives them the tree of life and he gives them the tree of knowledge. Those are in direct what? Opposition to each other. We have to have opposition. Well, why? Well, because the opposition is what makes agency work. See, did you know that really to have true agency, there has to be a series of elements that exist? It's almost like ingredients to a cookie. 
See, if we really want our agency to exist, we first have to have this. And I'm not even joking. Chapter two, verse five. If you're following along an actual set of scriptures, you might write here in chapter two, recipe for agency. Because what's happening here is Lehi tells us how agency really works. He says, the first thing that you and I have to have for agency to work is this. Second Nephi 2, verse 5. Verse 5 says, And men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. And the law is given unto men, and by the law no flesh is justified, or by the law men are cut off. Yea, by the temporal law they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good and become miserable forever. Now, you may be saying to yourself, what the heck did you just read to me? Well, what I read to you was men are instructed sufficiently. So we've been given instruction to know good and evil and a law was given. Or in other words, the first ingredient that you and I need to have agency is we have to have a knowledge of the law. In modern times, we would call it what's the expectation or what's the desired outcome. What's the law? And then he says, well, the law is given, but you can't be justified by the law. Why not? Well, because if you break the law, you're cut off. And if you remember the law that was presented to Adam and Eve was what? Well, here's the tree of good and evil. Here is the tree of eternal life. If you take one, you'll get all the knowledge. You take the other, you'll live forever. Like, don't, don't, don't do it. But you can have everything else. There's the law. Well, we've already talked to then about the second ingredient that's needed. See, for you and I to really exercise agency, then we have to actually have something, not just the law, but we have to have something to choose between. Hence, the two trees in the Garden of Eden. Hence, all of the different opportunities to make decisions in your life. See, I love that Elder Oaks knew that sometimes we would get a little baffled with things. And so then he gave us that wonderful talk called Good, Better, Best. You want a good read? Go Google that and pull it out. Because he talks about how we get caught up in doing really good things, neglecting things that are better and often neglecting the things that are best. So we're choosing really good when we really could be choosing best. Now, you may be saying, wait, how do I do that? Well, how much time do you spend on your phone? And what do you spend your time doing? I, I recently read a post by President Freeman. I have to admit, I may take this challenge because she said one of the things that she wanted to do and she was encouraging all of the young women to do it. Uh, young women, I hope you saw this post, those of you that have social media. But she was talking about how she's planning on carrying a, a copy of the Book of Mormon with her everywhere she goes this year. So that instead of death scrolling like she often does, which I love that she owns it, that she'll pull out the Book of Mormon and hopefully read it. I love that idea because I could be choosing something better than playing the block game that I like to play. I could be doing something so much better. So will you join President Freeman and myself and get a copy of the Book of Mormon and carry it with you and use that? instead of the death scroll. See, the third ingredient that we need kind of plays into this. That third ingredient is found over in verse number 16. And I absolutely love this ingredient. I have thought a lot about this concept. Verse 16, wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. 
Wherefore men could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. I love that word enticed. That's something I have like pondered because if something is enticing, it is attractive or it's tempting to you. But the reason that it's attractive or tempting to you is because it's trying to offer you some type of advantage or pleasure. It's enticing you. For example, let's go back to the ninth grade version of me. So the ninth grade version of me, I was kind of, I don't know that it was rebellious as much as just stupid. And I made really like less informed choices and some of them weren't so great. And one of them happened to be in this business class that we had to take and to age and date myself. It was in the time of the Dewey Decimal System and we were having a test on the Dewey Decimal System. And so in the process of the Dewey Decimal System, and having to learn it, I totally forgot about it. So I did what some of you have done, and I know there's some of you out there, is I devised a way that I could cheat. It was enticing to get an A, and I figured if I just wrote the Dewey Decimal System on my hand and held my hand close and kind of in a fist, I'd have like the little notes that I needed and I could do well on this test. And so I quickly wrote the Dewey Decimal System down on my hand, 100 to 200 is this, 201 to this, and, and I had it. And I went in and I took the test, did really well on the test. But I'm a fool and I am spiritually challenged. I'll own both of those. And so as the class discussion is going on, the teacher asked some question, and I don't know why, because I am very right-handed, and, but instead of raising my right hand, I raised my left hand, and what's in my left hand? Well, the Dewey Decimal System. And what have we just done? Well, we just took a whole test on the Dewey Decimal System. And Mrs. Clough, like seriously, who can remember something like that from when they were 14? But Mrs. Clough says, Candace Harrington, can I see you in the hallway? I, I didn't get to answer the question but I did get to go to the hallway. And so I went out into the hallway and Mrs. Clough said, what is that on your hand? And I said, what, what, what are you talking about? She said, hold out your hand. So I held out my right hand because I'm a smart aid. And she's like, nope, the other one. So I held out the other hand and there is, she said, am I looking at the Dewey Decimal System? And I said, yes, ma'am. That is the entire Dewey Decimal System on my hand. And she said, so you just cheated on the test we just had. And I said, Yes. And she said, go wash your hands. Meet me at my desk. You're taking the test again. You see, the adversary tries to weaken or destroy our agency by normalizing sin. I'm going to say that one more time. The adversary tries to weaken or destroy our agency by normalizing sin. He wants you to think that it's normal to sin. And it is. Why? Well, because we are natural men and women. But the real you and I, the real life that we're preparing for, according to President Eyring, is eternal life. So if I'm preparing for eternal life and I am an eternal being, then I've got to get past the everybody's doing it syndrome. See, Satan is the author of everybody's doing it. But knowing that you and I would succumb to sin and sometimes put the Dewey Decimal System on our hand, then we get the fourth ingredient here to agency. See, the fourth ingredient is found in verse number 21. Listen closely. And the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God, that they might repent while in the flesh. Wherefore, their state became a state of probation 
And their time was lengthened according to the commandments which the Lord God gave unto the children of men, for he gave commandment that all men must repent. For he showed unto all men that they were lost because of the transgression of their parent. Now, in that moment of ninth grade, I was lost because of the cheating of the Dewey Decimal System. And frankly, how many of us have cheated? How many of us have gotten the wrong change at the store and not gone back? How many of us have just said kind of a lie? You see, Satan is playing the short game in an attempt to win the long game. I'm going to say that one more time. Satan is playing the short game in an attempt to win the long game. He wants you to be so focused on the immediate gratification, which let's be honest, we live in a world with intense immediate gratification. Like if I can't Google, if Alexa cannot turn my, oh my gosh, over the holidays, my husband decided to reprogram all of our Alexa because somehow all of our Alexa, we have like smart lights and smart all things right at my house. Even my front door locks by itself. And so in the process of all of this, my husband disconnected everything and we had to turn the lights off and on. Heaven forbid. I don't know how many times I watched in their room and said, Alexa, turn on the light and nothing happened. And I was like, what the heck? when I literally was walking past the switch. But we want to be instantly gratified and Satan plays that short game with us because if he can get you and I wrapped up so much in the short game, we lose sight of the long game because you and I have to play the long game. And what is the long game? The long game is to think celestial and to ask ourselves a question when faced with Dewey Decimal Systems on our hand, uh, will this really matter in three hours from now? Will the grade that I got on the Dewey Decimal System matter three days, three months, three years? Because of my decision, it literally matters more than 30 years later. Why? Because it serves as a reminder of a time when I lost sight of the long game. And I'm grateful that the fourth ingredient is time for me to repent and change because my name is Candace Harrington Shoup and I am a sinner. And I use my agency at times incorrectly and I'm trying to what? Repent in the flesh because I know that the Lord God gave unto the children of men what? He lengthened my days so that I had time to do it. But the question is, will I take the time to do it in the days that he's given me? Now, assuming that I will, then I have the fifth ingredient for agency. Here's the last thing we need to really use agency. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And to none else can the ends of the law be answered. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they might know there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Christ is the key to agency because without him, we can't fully choose. Remember, 
that law of opposite. If I have a savior, then I've got to have somebody that is equally enticing me to do what's wrong. And so here is Lehi's final counsel. As he's wrapping stuff up in the large family scene, he says, and I love this verse, verse 27, wherefore men are free according to the flesh and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And what does it mean to have something that expedient? Well, it's needful, necessary, the means to attain an end. So he's given you and I everything that we need to be able to return to him. Why? Well, because he just told us all the ingredients of agency and how to use it. And so all things are given unto us which are expedient and we are free to choose. Here's the choices, liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men or choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like him to himself. Now, I don't know about you. That is a pretty easy choice when it's put that way. Do I choose liberty and eternal life or do I choose captivity and death? Uh, I'd like, I'd like captivity and death, Bob. No, no, we don't want captivity and death. You want to be free. So what do we have to do? Well, look at verse 28. It's going to sound familiar. And now, my son, I would that you should look to the great mediator and hearken unto his great commandment, be faithful unto his words and choose eternal life according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a spiritual alarm is going on that we need to look to Christ and live. You and I need to awake and arise. Or 29. And not choose eternal death according to the will of the flesh and the evil, which is therein, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate, to bring you down to hell, that he may reign over you in his own kingdom. Look to Christ and live. Look to Satan and die. Have Christ as your ruler forever. Have Satan as your ruler forever. Eternal life, glory, light, and happiness, misery, and hell. I don't know about you, but it's a pretty straightforward choice. See, we really have one big purpose here. Back in verse 25, it said, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Joy is a non-fleeting happiness where the memory alone brings back a feeling of peace and warmth. So we're to a point where you and I we need to go and do something. Will you go and awake and arise spiritually? Will you exercise agency now that you understand that it is a knowledge of the law, which you have? You have to have choices, hence the law of opposition. Something's going to entice you. You've been given time to repent and Christ is the key. I know that as you awake and arise spiritually and use your agency wisely, you can encounter joy and peace in a world filled of darkness and chaos. How do I know? Because I have felt it. And I get to experience it each time I choose him. My fine friends, Adam did fall to give you and I a chance to come to earth to exercise the greatest gift, agency, which was coupled and made possible by the greatest gift, the atonement. May we all awake and arise so that we no longer make choices in our sleep, is my hope. Go out there and get it. Use your agency wisely. Take care. 
The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Candice Shoup, and edited and produced by Cami Fisher. We'd absolutely love it if you would take the time to follow us where you listen to your podcasts, along with download. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a review. We also invite you to follow us on Instagram at Go and Do Podcast. And if you want to talk to me personally, feel free to email the Go and Do Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, friends, to have a good time, don't be a good time. Let's go and do.